0: Hello, and welcome to Breakpoints, the Society of Infectious Diseases Pharmacists podcast. My name is Julianne Gesto, and I'm a clinical associate professor at the University of South Carolina College of Pharmacy, and I practice as an infectious diseases pharmacist at Prisma Health Richland Hospital. Well, it's that time of year, recruitment season for pharmacy postgraduate training programs. As pharmacists and pharmacy trainees flock to Zoom and other venues for various showcases and interviews, we all thought it would be helpful to provide a quick rundown of infectious diseases pharmacy fellowships. If you're a trainee debating whether or not fellowship is for you, or if you're a listener that has ever encountered a fellowship-trained pharmacist and wondered what they do, this pod is for you. Today, I'm joined by two wonderful experts on the topic of ID Pharmacy Fellowships. First, we have Dr. Keith Rodvold, who is a distinguished professor at the University of Illinois uh, at Chicago in the Colleges of Pharmacy and Medicine. He is also the co-director of the Section of Infectious Diseases Pharmacotherapy in the Department of Pharmacy Practice. Dr. Rodvold holds a special place in my pharmacy history, as he was my very own fellowship director, along with Dr. Larry Danziger at USC back in the day. We've got some great
1: stories to share,
0: and I'll try my best not to discuss Keith and Larry's epic holiday parties. Keith, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you, Julie. Good to see you again. Uh, I thank you for that invitation to be part of this discussion, and opportunity to talk about something very close to my heart, fellowship training programs. And I look forward to talking with you and Taylor during the whole podcast.
0: Wonderful. Next, we have Dr. Taylor Morissette, who is an assistant professor in the Department of Clinical Pharmacy and Outcome Sciences at the Medical University of South Carolina College of Pharmacy and a clinical pharmacy specialist in pediatric infectious diseases and antimicrobial stewardship at MUSC's Sean Jenkins Children's Hospital, both in Charleston, South Carolina. So Taylor is easily the youngest and most energetic of us three. As a recent graduate of a fellowship program, I'm counting on him to provide the real, real on the current job market and how a fellowship can position one for a successful career in ID pharmacy. Taylor, thanks for joining us.
2: Yeah, I like to think that I'm still the youngest and most energetic, so thank you for that. (laughs) Anytime. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, Thank you both so much for having me and I can guarantee that I'll try my best to provide the the quote unquote real real as uh, Julie calls it so uh, I will say whether you two know it or not you also uh, both have a special place in my pharmacy history, Uh, Dr. Giusto, uh, a very incredible colleague has helped me tremendously uh, throughout the early days of my career, and Dr. Rodbold actually had a big part in training uh, my PGY2 ID residency director, Dr. Doug Fish. So hopefully after I've said those couple of nice things about you two, I'll get an invite to to one of those epic holiday parties.
0: (laughs) I'm still getting those invitations. so You never know, Taylor, maybe that'll be a benefit of this podcast.
2: (laughs) Dr. Rodbold, my address just changed, okay? I'm not in Detroit anymore. I'm in Charleston.
1: Well, right now with COVID, epic holiday parties are on hold, and actually the dean's faculty meeting yesterday announced that
2: officially. (laughs) I'm getting pretty good at Zoom, so you can Zoom me in.
0: (laughs) Zoom holiday party. I don't know. I don't know that that's going to work out, but I'm down to try.
1: We don't even do a Zoom holiday party.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, gents. Well, let's get down to it. Um, I get a lot of questions on fellowships, but easily the most common is the very basic question, what is a pharmacy fellowship? Can either of you outline what a pharmacy fellowship generally entails, and in particular, how it differs from other training programs, such as an PGY 2 residency program or a PhD program?
1: Sure, Julie. I'll take uh, the first shot at that one. A uh, fellowship program really should be geared towards uh, focusing on research and training you in how to do research. And that obviously can be in lots of different arenas, okay? Uh, and so, you know, you're moving now a little bit away from clinical practice to a, a research-oriented type of program. Uh, it It's the differences, you know, really easily to say is fellowship is research, residencies are clinical practice, okay, and the training programs are that way. You may have a little mixture of each of those in those two programs. You can still can have some clinical practice in a research fellowship, and you can still have some research in a residency, but the main focus is, as I outlined, research in a fellowship and clinical practice in a residency. Now, a PhD program is, you know, is a degree program. OK, so you're earning a bona fide degree from a university that has, you know, a an approved curriculum for it. And it usually takes you three to five years to accomplish a, a Ph.D. degree these days. Some places it's longer, depending on where you, what you may you know, be majoring in. Uh, Ph.D.s have a tendency to be a little bit more uh, bench oriented if it's in the sense of doing science and discovery. Or it could be, you know, health outcomes type of uh, work or some type of other area of pharmacy and pharmacy administration. There are clinical programs that do have PhD programs in across the nation and are are accredited in colleges of pharmacy. So they do can have a clinical component to it. Many times after some of the PhD programs, no matter if it's clinical pharmacy or it's other programs, people then consider a fellowship to get some more practical clinical experiences. We've interviewed people that have done a PhD program at accredited College of Pharmacy that's looking for a fellowship. So those those would be, you know, how to split those three different programs up and kind of a beginning way of
2: looking at it. Yeah, and I, I thought that was a very good explanation. And I really echo everything that Dr. Radboud has said. And, you know, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm very, you know, I just finished my fellowship and I did an interview at a few different ones. And, and broadly speaking, you know, I think an ID pharmacy fellowship, teaches you things such as hands-on laboratory or health outcomes research instruction. You'll get things such as research design, uh, statistical methodology, grantsmanship, and like Dr. Rodbold said, you can get a little bit of clinical and classroom training, Uh, but I think one of the biggest things to mention is that not all ID pharmacy fellowships are the same, and some can really be different. And Most all, though, I would say should train you to be successful for independent careers and academia or clinical practice or industry, but some just focus on certain areas uh, more than others. So ID fellowships in particular, just kind of going back to that, they're kind of like a hodgepodge of research, education, and clinical training. Uh, But ID residencies, like Dr. Rodbold mentioned, focus more on the clinical training component with a much smaller emphasis on research and educational training. So in fellowship, the bulk of my time uh, was spent conducting research And there was a little bit of clinical practice and education training sprinkled into that. And although I would say that that part of my fellowship did feel like a PhD, as I I did take part in graduate coursework and spent a lot of my time doing research, uh, there was also that that slight clinical component, which most PhD programs don't offer.
0: I love that. Yeah, thank you both for that summary. I think when I try to briefly explain fellowships, I'm like, they're somewhere in between the spectrum of, of residency and a PhD. Um, and I think both of you highlighted that incredibly well. Um, and just to round that out, um, we were talking about, you know, time it takes to complete each of these programs. Um, as we know, an IDP GY 2 is generally a year, as opposed to a PhD program that's normally three to five years. And again, fellowships kind of fall in between, and are usually about two years in duration for most of them that you'll find in the country. Um, So with that variability in time commitment, I I think it's so interesting to hear from pharmacists that I know and respect across the country that have chosen fellowship as part of their training. Um, So the question that I'd turn next to you guys is, what are some examples of careers that you've seen others have following an ID pharmacy fellowship? Is it solely a training option for clinical academicians uh, such as ourselves?
2: I think we're both in the position to, to speak on that. I just went through the, the job application process and I know Dr. Rodbold has graduated a lot of fellows that have been successful in getting jobs at their own. So uh, I, I definitely don't think it's just a job for uh, academicians or, or academia. You know, after completing an ID pharmacy fellowship, you can really do a bunch of different things. Uh, Even within academia, there's different things of which you can do. So you can get into a strictly research position, more like a tenure track type position, or you can get into just strictly clinical practice, or in most instances, you can do both. Um, And and that's what a lot of us have done. Uh, You can also, uh, you're eligible for non-academic clinical practice positions that are uh, employed by healthcare systems, and then things such as drug industry and even governmental agencies, such as the the Food and Drug Administration, uh, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or the the World Health Organization. And one thing I do want to highlight is that I think a lot of these ID fellowship-trained individuals really go on to be leaders within the field and within their profession, such as being on uh, national or international guidelines or becoming department chairs uh, at their colleges of, of pharmacy. So ultimately, what I would recommend to do is if you're interested in a particular program and also have a particular career in mind, look what past fellows of that particular fellowship program have gone on to do for that career or their career. And that should show you what that particular fellowship program should train you to do. And I'm sure Dr. Rodbold could speak on his experiences from some individuals that he's trained.
1: Well, Taylor, you did a really good job of summarizing that, and, and brings up a lot of great points. You know, I think that when you're looking into these programs, is, it is asked the question: Is where, where if your trainees gone after you after they left the program? We've trained over 80 postdocs in between Larry Danziger and I at the at the University of Illinois Chicago, and our postdocs range from you know being tenure-track academic people. Julie's one of our postdocs. You know, that's on this to give you an example. To, you know, being a director of pharmacy, to being, uh, you know, a clinician only, to to the NIH, being a scientist at the NIH, being an officer at the FDA. We've had some at the WHO, the uh, the Gates Foundation. It's pretty limitless what you can do. You know, what fellowships do is give you good building blocks to, to set your career off with the option of being able to do research as well as clinical. And as Julie and and Taylor both kind of alluded to is that you kind of fit between the aspect of a PhD and an MD almost, okay? You understand some of the science that the PhD is doing on the bench, but you also understand the clinical that the physician is doing in infectious diseases. And you weld together those two areas of of, the microbiologist that's a PhD running a good clinical microbiology lab, an outstanding MD as a clinician researcher, and you come in the middle to be the pharmacotherapy expert, okay, for infectious diseases. I, you know, it's really up to the up to the individual where they want to land. You know, like like Taylor mentioned, we have ex heads, you know, ex ex fellows that are now department heads, deans already. Um, you know, we've been doing it for 30 some years, so it's not surprising some of our older folks have done it. Some of our people went to the pharmaceutical industry, everything from being a medical liaison to, you know, the director of clinical pharmacology, okay? And they have really broken some of the ground in industry that usually had been only a PhD world or an MD world. One of our past postdocs just recently became a global manager in a very large pharmaceutical company, which has never had a PharmD in that position before. And, you know, over the years of not only her training, But also, you know, moving through different jobs that she had, she was a clinician, she was, you know, in different couple of smaller companies along the way. And now she's at, you know, some of the top companies in the one of the top companies in the world. And so, you know, it's really up to you where you kind of see yourself going what you may, you may do, but the fellowship should give you the building blocks to get you there.
0: I love that description of the building blocks, and it sounds, it, it's bringing me back to 10 years ago when we had these conversations way back when. I am always so inspired when I see where other people have, have gone on, and, and Taylor, your advice of, of seeing where uh, graduates of that fellowship program have gone is so, so important because of how unique fellowship programs are, which I know we'll touch on in a little bit.
2: I can't still that advice. as advice that I created myself. That was passed on to me from some great mentors. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, shout out to those mentors, because that's really helpful advice. Um, in addition, I know many of us within SADP we keep making this joke that in our spare time, outside of COVID and all of our day jobs, we're going to create this pharmacy family tree, because when you look at uh, not just graduates of fellowship programs, but all this postgraduate training that goes into ID, it's incredible when you start to see, oh, that was so-and-so's trainee and they went on to go do this, that, the other. I I love that stuff. So we're going to do this at some point, (laughs) maybe not today. In addition, I love that info that Keith was talking about in terms of the versatility of the fellowship. It it is what you and Larry coached me on um, when I was in my own fellowship training. You said to me, the most versatile that you are ever going to be in your career is the moment that you graduate fellowship. That actually held true when I realized the sheer variety of jobs that I could apply for. So I'm really forever grateful for, for that advice. And I'm hoping that we can share some of these helpful tips to our listeners as well. In that vein, this next question is for our trainees. So where should one go to find current ID pharmacy fellowship programs and whom should they talk to, to learn more?
2: TikTok. Only kidding.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Dang. Are you trying to tell SIDP we need a
2: TikTok. No, No, I think this is, now that you said that, I think this is a a great place for me to naturally put in a plug for for SIDP. So their website is a a wonderful place. It's a wonderful resource to find uh, current infectious diseases, pharmacy residency programs. Uh, There's other pharmacy-specific organizations as well, such as the American College of Clinical Pharmacy or ACCP. Uh, Their website is a great resource uh, for fellowship programs. And these, these websites really give program directors an avenue uh, to advertise and highlight their specific program really on an international level. Uh, for me personally, I, I always had a passion for infectious diseases. I, I knew I wanted to do it as a third-year student. I tried my hardest to like something else, uh, but it, I always came back to, to infectious diseases. So When I got into my postgraduate training, uh, I spent a lot of time throughout residency reading the infectious diseases literature And I'd read an article, and I started picking up on trends of authors and affiliations that were the same over and over and over again. And this was groundbreaking ID pharmacy literature that was being published. And a lot of times, it was at universities or institutions that were currently offering ID pharmacy fellowships. So I was lucky to to have had incredible mentors and colleagues that could really help me out along the way and make connections. Uh, So if an ID pharmacy fellowship is something that anyone out there would like to do, networking is key. So I was introduced to multiple directors of, of ID pharmacy fellowship programs at, at different conferences, and was able to grab coffees or adult beverages. There's some people I know that really love my ties, and, and that person's me. Uh, so I was able to share some my ties over over some program directors and talk about their program. And, I would and really not
0: have pegged learned. you as a my Tai guy, Taylor. How did I not know this?
2: My ties and white claws. Everybody knows that.
0: Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm a mescal girl. But only anyway. kidding. Just just my <laughs> ties.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, really the my ties really helped to to learn more about the fellowship directors and the their program as a whole uh and really just networking and talking to people has it, been key in me figuring out which fellowships I wanted to apply to.
0: Yeah, I think that's an incredibly uh valuable um advice and that, that's similar to the trajectory that that I had as a young trainee kind of going through, you know, you start off getting a lay of the land and then it really ends up being introduced and, and connecting with those individuals, whether it's buying them a coffee or, or what have you. Um, and I know that any one of the three of us would be happy to have um, any listener kind of reach out and and look for some of those opportunities. And many other SIDP members would would be happy to do the same. It's one of the benefits of being part of, of the organization uh, and part of the BreakPoints family. So I'm going to try to ask the the big question that I know a lot of my trainees will ask next, um, they may be struggling to decide if they should pursue a specialty residency such as an IDPGY2 versus a fellowship. So I know this is a common question. Uh, Keith, I'm going to turf this one to you. I know your group at UIC now offers various clinical ID pharmacy fellowships or an IDPGY2. So how do you advise a young trainee to think about this important question?
1: But You know, I think you start talking to the trainee and, you, and the trainee themselves need to look at, you know, where, where do they think they're going to practice or work or teach or whatever. Ask the question, what do you want to do? And that usually starts leaning you towards where you want to go. You can always go to a residency first because, you know, ideal fellowships would like to have someone that has had a residency, not only a PGY-1, but a PGY-2. And so that if you're undecided and you think it's clinical practice, you know, going to a PGY-2 is, is fine. And then if you find that you see some research there that and you like research, you could go on to a fellowship. On the other hand of it, if you, you know, you've kind of had some research experiences, because many of you actually work while you're in school or, or get exposed in someone's research lab at your own institution that you, you get your degrees, and you see that that's what puts the thrill in you, okay, and you like that scientific questions and gathering data and, and going through and analyzing it, then you want to explore probably fellowships if that's where you see yourself going. You can't go wrong with either, first of all, okay? It's a matter of where your passion and your heart is leading you to at the time. I can tell you I've interviewed lots of candidates over the year, and I can actually tell them, you're probably not looking for a fellowship. You're really looking for a residency because mm-hmm. they start telling me what they're interested in, and I can tell which one they really need to do. And and, and, you know, Taylor had, you know, brought up a point where, you know, he was fortunate to be run one of our past postdocs, which is his department at the time, University of Colorado, you know, lean on your own faculty as, as a student that's there or as a resident there to get advice and, and ask them. They can lead you to, you know, what kind of program that you may need to consider, what programs you'd go to, who you should talk to, and then go out and seek those people. The other thing I would tell you is where's the location you're willing to go to. You know, you can, there's a lot of places, a lot of programs out there from coast to coast, North to South. But if you're not willing to move to Arizona, there's no need to look at who's in Arizona or California. If you're not interested in Illinois, Illinois, or Michigan, there's no need to come look at those programs. You can start narrowing it down, then who's the best program in the region that you're willing to move to, or is it where you are currently? So that's another question I always, you know, throw back at people. Are you willing to make the move to go to someplace? And, and if you're not, then you got to look locally and see what the talent is around you. Again, you know, think of it, what we talked about, what a residency is for some fellowship. At U of I, we do both. We started a PGY2 program. We've always we've maintained the HIV resident despite ASHP no longer credits those anymore. Uh, because we have, you know, a handful of people that practice HIV, and, and that's been a core of our section. And we still think it's important. And we have people calling us all the time, wanting pharmacists that are HIV trained only. Okay. And so to give that up, we really not probably do the profession any good as well as the aspect of patients any good. We started an ID residency because we moved into another hospital that we really needed to help them move along. And, and the first per person we put in that residency is probably on his way to a job at that hospital, okay? He's done a great job in, in, during COVID. We have multiple fellowships. We, we kind of do different areas of fellowships. And besides Larry and I, we now have a couple of junior faculty that are on the tenure track that also offer fellowships and broaden even that up. And so again, when you look at programs, look at what's all there and what's their opportunities. And and then that'll help you I think, decide what you may you know wh- which ones you may want to pursue. One thing I want to tell Taylor is I guess I should have bought you my ties to get you to come to Illinois because I didn't do that when I talked to you during an interview process. <laughs>
2: there's there's always next time uh, at one of the next upcoming uh, pharmacy conferences or infectious diseases conferences. I'll I'll always take a my tie.
0: Consider that free feedback. <laughs> for you, Dr. Rodbold. (laughs) I love that. I love that those tips that you guys are are offering. I think those are so valuable uh, for our trainees or for folks that are just trying to understand. Um, I think it can be very stressful uh, for trainees trying to figure out, oh, what's the absolute right path for me? Um, And I think all of a sudden, when you start talking to fellowship directors and residency directors, you realize that there's more than one path that you could potentially take to get to where you wanna be. That starting point that you mentioned, Keith, about you know what do you wanna do, um, was I remember where you and Larry kind of started me uh, and I, I was very clear. I was like, I love the bedside, I love the bedside, but I wanna do some teaching and I wanna do some research. And then in talking to folks that were doing that kind of job with that kind of mix, they actually mentioned to me that the rate limiting step to to promotion and some of the uh, career advancement that they were looking for over time was the research skills. Um, And I remember telling, I had a conversation with Larry and he was like, how good are you at research? And I'm like, ooh, not so good. He's like, you probably need a fellowship if this is where you're headed. In academia, uh, so that was the conversation for, for me at the time. Um, but again, that's such a personal like journey and decision. Um, and I know each one of us love helping folks kind of walk that path. And especially, I love the fact that a lot of fellowship directors, just like residency directors, y'all are not afraid to tell folks like, "Fellowship's not for you." Nope. Uh, so so there's there's really no downside to having that type of conversation and exploring it early on. All right, so it's kind of moving right along. Um, one of the things that I was surprised to learn as a young resident is meaning PGY-1 when I was going through this process myself, I was so surprised that many fellowship programs are uniquely focused on the expertise of the program directors. So uh, if someone has a very strong basic science research program, then that's kind of what the fellow is going to do. Uh, if they're a PKPD modeler uh, like Dr. Rovald is, then that's probably what you're going to do if you're his fellow. Um, there are fellowships in industry and drug development in the antimicrobial space. There's also clinical outcomes uh, research focus- fellowships. Um, So that's one piece that I thought was really interesting. Um, In addition, the proportion of time spent on active patient care throughout each one of these different types of fellowship can vary widely, which is something that I think we've mentioned already. So why is this the case Um, and how should trainees approach finding a fellowship program that suits their needs and career goals?
1: Well, I think that, you know, the, the first thing is to, like, as we've been talking about, is to explore the program, okay, and and talking to, you know, past trainees, particularly, because that will give you an idea of someone that's went through that program and what where they spent their time. But you also got to remember that each program evolves every year. So it changes on the dime, so to speak, depending on what the focus and whether, you know, what other things change professionally as well as clinically as well as research-wise. Um again, you know, explore the individual programs and ask them how they divide up time. You know, we, we have kind of a standard way that we, we see time split in our program. We, we do a kind of a, we never take you away from the bedside because we, we kind of modeled you, us after the physicians in our group. And as and so they do their fellowships, they still do clinical time. So we, we involve, you know, a few months of clinical in the hospital. We involve clinic because most of you have, haven't had clinic time. And as well as, you know, 18 probably solid months plus of research, okay? Uh, And we divide it in both years. Now, we think that's an advantage in our program. Other programs would say, well, you're kind of doing a residency fellowship, and they see it as a disadvantage, okay? So that's why you got to ask each program and what their focus is. Just like what Julie brought up is, what what does your mentor or mentors at that site do, and is that something that's in line with what you're interested in? You know, at Illinois, we're quite different. As I mentioned, there's, you know, there's three, four of us on a tenure track that offer fellowships. There's another four or five clinicians. And then we have some other people that are with us as well as off-site places that work with us. So I have lots of people I can hook you up with and put you at different places and different opportunities, both clinically as well as research-wise. And so, you know, you know, if there's a if it's a one person show, you're likely going to do what that that person does. If it's multiple people, you may be able to pick and choose. Also, how many fellows they have, how many residents they have allows you whether or not how much picking and choosing you might be able to do within projects. And then the final thing is I always tell people is that, you know, what do you want? Is there a project that you're interested in? If you want to study some pathogen that we don't see in Chicago. You shouldn't come to Chicago, okay, unless I can ship you someplace to be able to get all those pathogens and do, do some work. Uh, and I remember interviewing a lady that wanted to do a specific fungus that was really down in Arizona. I said, yeah, I don't think Illinois is the place you want to be, okay? You need to go to Tucson, okay, or, or someplace in the southwest corner and things. And so, you know, again, you got to kind of find what your own heart is and in, in, in pick and choose a little bit and explore programs and understand what they they potentially have.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great point. So, I mean, if you're interested in studying, you know, like coxidioides, but the the fellowship director studies MRSA and BRE, uh it may not be the the best place for you to go. So, definitely look a- into what the fellowship and the the research that goes on within that fellowship has been doing over the past uh, years, whether that's decades or just a few years, and also, you know. Focus on what you want out of the other things that fellowships can offer. So some programs can really be 50-50 research and clinical practice, and others may be more like 75 to 85 percent research, and then you know, 15 to 25 percent clinical practice and teaching. So for me personally, I, I did a PGY2 and in infectious diseases and you know that that residency really trained me to be an ID clinician, but it was still very important for me to not lose those skills that I had gained during the, the two additional years of postgraduate training as a fellow. So I sought out a program uh, that was more focused on research and teaching, uh, but still had a proportion dedicated to taking care of patients. So I was also very interested in, in both PKPD lab research as well as uh, clinical outcomes research. I had the opportunity to do a little bit throughout residency, and I couldn't decide which one I liked more, so I, I really wanted to do both, uh, but still not give up my love for, for taking care of patients. So in order for the trainee to, to find the fellowship program that suits their needs and career goals, you know, simply put, I think that you should try to find a program that suits your needs and your career goals. So ask around, uh, talk to fellowship directors, talk to previous fellows, and try to figure out what specifically uh, you would be doing throughout the the fellowship program. And, you know, if that's what you could see yourself doing throughout the rest of your life, it should train you well to be able to do that.
0: I love that. That That's wonderful advice. Um, just to shine a little bit more love on the fellowships. Uh, many of my co-fellows and mentors remain lifelong friends of mine to this day. So can either of you comment on the benefits that you see to a pharmacy fellowship like these networking opportunities?
2: Yeah, I, I think first I have to shout out my co-fellows. So uh, Dr. Sarah Alasemi, Dr. Jam, uh, or that's Jacinda for those of you who haven't seen her own fire throughout the past year. Razi, Nick Re- Rebold, and Dana Holger—they were all great people, uh, very close friends, and I had a lot of good time with them uh, when we were training together. And at least for my fellowship, and I would assume some others are, are pretty similar. You know, we would lead our own projects as fellows, but we were also pretty involved with each other's projects as well. Uh, so from the the laboratory standpoint. You know, if we wanted to run say a 14 day PkPD model and you have to get samples over those 14 days so uh, you know the evening doesn't mean that you, you can't come in to get a sample you know if you need a an eight-hour sample or a 32hour sample or, or whatever you need to come in on the evenings to do that uh, if you're not already there. And the same on the weekends. Um, so, you know, you still have to come in on the weekends and, and get your samples. But a lot of times we would have multiple models running at a given time. So we'd really help each other out or make weekend and evening shifts uh, so that only one person had to come in uh, to, to do the job. And on the outcome side, we did a lot of multi-center studies and we would really use each other for contacts uh, throughout the country in an attempt for more collaboration. That's the work. But, you know, a lot of us lived very close uh, to each other and we were able to walk from from work. Uh, or walk home from work and yes that's even in the wintry months of detroit so given this close uh, camaraderie that we had at work and given that fellowship is obviously long hours we'd often stop for evening happy hours along the way home and we even got to pull mike out for a happy hour a couple fridays here and there
0: <laughs> we can ask wow. about the micah the my ties
2: <laughs> many my ties were had on fridays <laughs>
1: Well, I, let me make a couple of comments. Like Taylor's program, our program is similar, where there's multiple postdocs with us, okay, and that's just within our own group. Illinois has, you know, a huge residency training program, both PGO one and PGY 2 and so you instantly gain about 20, 30 colleagues that, you know, as your age in different areas. And, you know, you're, you know, you're all trying to strive to get board certified and, and other credentials along the way. And so you, you become really close friends. And as Taylor has mentioned, there's there's some socialing going on with that as well on uh, not only Friday, Saturdays and Mondays and Wednesday. Okay. And are you spend a lot, about, time, <laughs> a lot of time we together talk Wednesdays. About the holiday parties now? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not bringing up the holiday party. okay. Um, Um, You know, one of the things that, you know, Julie uh, well knows, and and unfortunately Taylor probably didn't get to experience, was we used to have a fellowship forum, which was really started by Larry Danziker and uh, Rick Slaughter at Wayne State. And it it started with just University of Illinois and and Wayne State with all residencies and some fellowships uh, coming together to present uh, what's going on in each program. And then eventually we added in University of Minnesota with John Schaefer at the time. And then eventually after that we got corporate sponsors that came to us that said, can you do this, but on a bigger level, and we went nationwide at that point and we ran this for over 20 some years. Um, the good news is there's the junior people now, not so much a junior or associate level and higher, even full professors are starting to take this over because the gray hair guys are all disappearing into the, to the horizon. Uh, and hopefully after COVID we'll be able to get this back up, but You know, it was a great way because most of what I saw coming out of the fellowship form was again, now you not only had your own program, but you had all these other people, you met them. We used to have it in the spring, so by fall, when you came to the infectious disease meetings you all knew each other and you hung out together. And the last thing you wanted to do was hang out with me because you had your own friends already, okay? Which is fine with me because I have my own friends too, by the way. Uh, (laughs) But um, so it was a good way of meeting other people across other programs, not only other fellows, but other preceptors and and understanding and learning and, and, and having a social bonding for a weekend. And so hopefully that will come back to life for the ID folks again. And I know that there's interest among many people. The other thing is like what Taylor did earlier on, this is a plug for SIDP. This is a great place to meet other people, okay? And and the people that are at SIDP that are leading this program right now really are in the thick of everything, okay? Whether it's industry, academia, practice, research, whatever, it's all there. And this is a good place to be as well in the sense of meeting people, lifelong friends,
2: understanding what's the possibilities in your own career, but also what people do in their careers. In touching on both of those things, Dr. Rodbold just said, I will say that the SIDP meeting, when it's in person, the reception that occurs after the meeting, that was the highlight, I think, of myself meeting people that I wanted to meet within the the world of infectious diseases and people that were involved with fellowship, whether they were previous fellows or or fellowship directors. Um, So that's a really great place. And the second thing is fellowship forum. So unfortunately, COVID-19 took away fellowship forum for me. I wasn't able to go to either year's. I'm hoping some program, fellowship program, sponsors me though and, and flies me there at one of these upcoming fellowship forums. Hint, hint.
0: <laughs> I love that. But I'm hoping for the same invitation, my friend. <laughs> I still miss fellowship
1: forum. But Kevin, um, Ge- Kevin Gary should have banked some money because he was supposed to have it before COVID hit. So you, you need to become friends with Kevin. Okay, I'm gonna send, Dr. S- Gary. I'm
2: going to send Dr. Gary an email and, and say, I, I absolutely love Clostridioides difficile. Would you like me to come to fellowship for him?
0: I'll speak on fecal microbiota transplant and, and whatever yogurt he wants me to push. (laughs) Um, Taylor, I love those, the, the stories that you're saying about the camaraderie, even across your, your fellowship. I got a flash of a memory where Melinda Soriano was helping me with my ceftaroline, uh, obesity PK study and God bless her. It was like 11 o'clock at night and she's carrying five liters of urine from this augmented renal clear to the lab with me. (laughs) And so that that's, that's the level of camaraderie that I think you can get across a, a fellowship. So not to say that you can't find that in residency and other programs as well, or even in a, a professional organization like SIDP. Um, but we have to be fair, guys. Okay, we've, we've showered lots of love on on fellowships over the last few minutes, but but let's be balanced. So, what are some of the drawbacks to pursuing a fellowship training program?
1: Well, I mean, one one of the first things is it's going to be two plus years of your life, okay, in a program, okay, and that's two plus years of not making. Uh, real pharmacy money, okay, and in these days, at least at our shop, that's about one-third of a pharmacist's salary going on, okay, and so, you know, there's a, there's a financial hit. You'll likely, you know, I, I would guess the majority of people have to make another move, okay, and so you're going to, you know, physically pick up and move and live someplace else for a couple of years or so, and so, you know, you, you got a professional as well as a personal issue going on there. So you got to find that balance. Uh, you know, is this going to be right for you both professionally and personally? As I always tell, and Julie probably remembers, if one goes out of whack, the other one follows it usually. And so, uh, and it doesn't make a difference which one it is going out of whack because the other one will, will pay a toll for that. So, you know, you, again, it goes back to where are you willing to go, where are you willing to do? uh, understand the time commitment that you're going to place into it. Uh, and, uh, and then finding the program that fits you. Two years can be a long time. If it's a place you don't want to be, or you hate what you're doing.
2: I personally don't think there's any drawbacks. So next question, just, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I think we mentioned this a little bit earlier, but you know, A lot of ID fellowship programs could be very different, so I, I think it's, it's very important for you as the applicant to have an in-depth discussion with the director and, and past fellows and current fellows to allow yourself to know what each particular fellowship will actually train you to do. So for an example, this particularly, particularly relates to residency training you know, an ID pharmacy residency trained me to do specific things clinically. So, you know, I spent time on clinical infectious diseases consults. I I learned how to do antimicrobial stewardship. I did outpatient ID management, such as HIV and hepatitis. And some fellowships may offer this, and then some may not. And depending on the amount of time that you want to spend in that, I I think it's very important to figure that out. So, with fellowships with a, a very large clinical component, whereas in a way your ID residency would be replicated or duplicated, and then others have minimal and moderate clinical components in which they may not provide as much clinical training as a typical ID residency would. So I think ironing out all of these details, if you have or have not had an ID residency, that would be important, you know, as long as you wanted clinical ID training or did not want to duplicate that, that clinical ID training.
0: I agree. I think for for me, aside from the time commitment, um, it takes a little bit more um, self-awareness as to what you're looking for as a trainee. So that independence and what you're seeking is part of the challenge of pursuing a a fellowship that'll be a right fit for you, which is why I think all three of us are spending so much time about helping listeners figure out how you would find those. So in that same vein, um, once you get to your fellowship program. Say you're successful um, in that pursuit. Keith, as a fellowship director that's been doing this for a long time, how do you then approach planning the schedule and projects for a fellow?
1: One of the terms that we always use is we individualize the program for everyone. You know, I'm not trying to make you the next, to be the next Keith Rodvold. In fact, I Try very hard not to have you do that. Um, And so, you know, what do you wanna do? Uh, And, you know, what are you interested in? And then try to develop the program around that in in light of what's going on. Obviously, you come into a program that's well-established is that we have stuff that's ongoing already, stuff that we're just gonna start and stuff that we haven't even gotten to yet, okay? And so, you know, we try to get you involved with different phases of it so that you can kind of see different things. Uh, at different times. Uh, You know, our program, because we're, you know, we're going to give you the the building blocks, we're going to give you opportunity to teach and opportunity to write in addition to do research, okay? But again, I don't make postdocs do that, okay, unless they really want to do that. So we ask the question, you know, we're not replacing our teaching load with a fellow so that I can get out of teaching, okay? Uh, I'm not having you write some book chapter for me because I don't want to take the time to write it okay we always give the option is this something you're interested in and I have the luxury I got multiple postdocs I have multiple students that are interested and other faculty that are interested I'll always find someone to collaborate with in doing things okay as important as, you know, what's going on and I, I can set up a schedule for you is, you know, what program, what will you be able to do that you're really interested? Can you get an investigative initiated project and funding and those opportunities to write that grant and even get it done during the two years or, or more that you're there? Are you interested in also seeking certifications in, in the areas of, of that you haven't gotten them yet? Okay, whether it's pharmacotherapy, infectious diseases, HIV, whatever it may be. Will they allow you to go to training programs? You know, I, I, I'm in PKPD. Are you going to go to, you know, learn how to do some modeling with uh, certain computer programs or work with some people that are going to teach you that? You know, does does the program have the capabilities of allowing you the time, but also there's usually an expense that goes with that, okay? And does it, you know, work into helping you with your project and leading you probably to more scholarly work? Like, you know, the other option is too, is that, you know, Julie did this, She got another degree while she was with us okay and there's you know a lot of people are getting either an mph or an ms degree on top of a fellowship but that's got to be all talked about through as well because it's it's a serious program university is giving you a degree and that program's got requirements that have to be met and you got to balance that against all the things we just talked about okay and, and oftentimes, you know, if you're looking at it these days, what we learned was it probably takes you three years to get both of those done, not just two years as a, a normal fellowship. So all those avenues are there. You just got to work with the preceptors and the site you're looking at is, are, the, are there avenues there for me? Are there the things I want to do? And can that occur for me?
0: Yeah, I think the piece that I would add to that, um, I I didn't, I certainly didn't think I wanted an additional degree going into fellowship. So I ended up being PGY4 in order to, to finish that degree. Um, but, you know, I was taking the stats classes anyway, cause I I did want those for my career my skills. So having that master's in clinical and translational science w- was helpful. Um, and, and it has, it has been beneficial, especially if I'm trying to like explain my credentials as a clinical researcher in future grant applications. Um, it's helpful to demonstrate and to explain, you know, the, the training that I, that I do have, um, I'm not. I'm not sure it's absolutely required, but it, it's interesting to see how some of these opportunities can evolve even over the course of your fellowship too. Um, so Taylor, I'm gonna turn the next question to you. How has fellowship training prepared you for your new appointment as clinical faculty at MUSC? Uh,
2: good question. Um... You know, first and foremost, I think it'll depend on the, the program, but for mine in particular, and I know Dr. Rodbould's would be the same, you know, I, I truly believe it was the, the cherry on top to an already amazing, you know, two years of residency. So my, my first year of residency, just to put some plugs in for them as well, was at uh, Methodist University Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, it really taught me how to be an independent and functioning clinical pharmacist and how to practice at the, the top of my license And my PGY-2 in infectious diseases was at the University of Colorado under Doug Fish. Uh, So if anybody, as of right now, is thinking about ID fellowship versus ID residency, uh, University of Colorado would be a great place to go. And so would USC and so would UIC. Uh, They're all incredible uh, infectious diseases uh, clinical programs. But wrapping that into... The fellowship that I did, which was I focused on antimicrobial pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics and then infectious diseases, health outcomes, and I did that at Wayne State Uh, that really tied everything together for me. So it allowed me to continue to advance my abilities within research, still have those skills within clinical practice, but then advance uh, myself with new skills such as grant writing and collaboration with sponsors to to conduct the research. Us clinicians know could really help our patients throughout the world. So ultimately, you know, I really think it taught me how to effectively juggle all of the things that are required and expected of you as a successful academician. So once I started my job here at uh, MUSC College of Pharmacy, I, I feel that I was really able to hit the ground running as an assistant professor, and and that's with the clinical aspects, the teaching aspects, and the, the research responsibilities and I, I really do owe all of that to, you know, my residency training and my fellowship training and the uh, directors and, and preceptors that trained me. So really got to give a shout out to Dr. Joanna Hudson, Jennifer Twilla, Morgan Jones, Chris Finch, they were all at my PGY-1, uh, Matt Miller and Doug Fish at my PGY-2, and of course, Mike Ryback uh, throughout my fellowship. I really owe y'all a lot. So thank you.
0: So well said. Thank you for that, Taylor. And we'll wrap up this particular episode with our new segment, I Feel Nerdy. So I Feel Nerdy is meant to be a safe space for our panelists to nerd out over their favorite ID topics, quirks, and fun facts. For today's I Feel Nerdy, we're going to share our favorite factoid that we learned during fellowship and why. So Keith, I'm going to start with you.
1: Well, I mean, I I did a fellowship in PKPD with um, Darwin Zaski and uh, Bob Sapoli. And, and at that time, University of Minnesota's fellowship programs were some of the largest number at the time, which was only three of us, <laughs> okay? Uh, but it was the beginning. I mean, I'm back in the dark ages of the end of the 70s and going into the 80s, and fellowships were, you know, just starting to occur for people. Um it, you know, that Darwin Zasky was the creator of P.K. and Clinical Pharmacy, him and Jerry Shintag, almost were the, the two godfathers, and probably still are, that got us, you know, off the bench to take care of patients, to dosing the patients on a daily basis via glycosides. okay? And at the time, despite it was the end of the 70s and 80s, they were already doing vancomycin, and John Rocheffer was, you know, on his way to try to get tenured on vancomycin, Okay. Now it seems like we're 60 years later or so, and we're still doing vancomycin. Um, and uh, I think that's where we're nerding out on vancomycin. Okay, so move on, move on beyond <laughs> vancomycin. Okay,
0: with pleasure.
1: Uh, and uh, find other things. I, I do. I still think PK though is really important. There's not enough PK people being trained out there. Okay, and you know uh, I'm glad to hear Taylor. You know did some work. But, you know, not only PK in the lab and PK in understanding resistance, but also taking care of patients and and understanding how to dose drugs. Uh, It's been a wonderful career for me. I still get lots of opportunities worldwide to do this, okay, and have many studies ongoing with various sponsors at various times. Uh, And, uh, you know, there's not enough people out there. I can tell you that. Okay, so... uh, Come on and join the nerd herd over on PKPD. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I think for me, it was uh, something I never thought I'd want to do, but it, it was the introduction of novel antimicrobials that are not what we typically think of. So I think a, a lot of us who listen to this podcast know that there's been an increase in resistant bacteria throughout the world. and. That leads to this reduction in effective antibiotics. And this is unfortunately coupled with a narrow pipeline of antibiotics and development. So, I spent a lot of time in my fellowship uh, in the laboratory working with something known as bacteriophages or phages. And these are viruses that specifically target, infect, and then they kill bacterial cells. Uh, phages were actually discovered quite a while ago uh, in the 1900s, but their, their therapeutic potential was kind of neglected. And one of the reasons why is because of the discovery of antibiotics. So unfortunately, this era of antibiotic resistance that we're all facing now has forced the resurgence of phage therapy back into clinical practice. So I've heard from numerous colleagues, uh, even at University of Colorado, they just recently used a phage for really resistant pseudomonas. Uh, But phages are are becoming to be used uh, most most commonly, you know, in combination with antibiotics, and that's really for these nasty and resistant bugs, in which we we don't have antibiotic options. So I'm very excited to have had a little bit of experience uh, working with them uh, throughout the fellowship.
0: Thank you both for that. for me, while not exactly a factoid, um, there's there's a particular memory that kind of stands out when I felt really nerdy. And it was actually watching Keith read the output or the list of full key PK parameters on a new drug. And he was explaining to me how like the concentration time curve was going to look across the population. He's doing this all verbally, like without ever having even seen the curves. So he's showing me how the VD for the drug is larger than similar drugs in the class and predicting how that would change like the peak and trough and AUC in turn. And I'd never seen anybody do that, especially not off the top of their head. Um, I'd never thought of PK parameters as like visual descriptors of a curve before. I must have been sleeping during the PK lecture in in pharmacy school. Um, But all of a sudden, like it kind of clicked when he was explaining it to me. And uh, I'll, I'll probably make Keith feel super uncomfortable here, but his instinctive interpretation really seemed like magic. And in that moment, it like cemented my love for PKPD and, and OSAP. So um, if he's trying to recruit people to the cause, he, he, he got one in me. Um, so that, that's really my, my favorite I feel nerdy factoid from, from fellowship. although a very close second is imagining Larry sifting through his yellowing pages of journal articles to dig into the OG bank associated nephrotoxicity data uh, for my co-fellows R and me. So I feel like there's we could probably go on for even a whole nother podcast episode on, on our favorite memories from, from fellowship. There's there's so many good stories to share. Um, and I thank you both uh, so, so much for spending time with us today and for providing your expertise and advice uh, to our listeners. Um, and lastly, you know, thank you, our loyal audience, for listening to Breakpoints, uh, the SIDP podcast. Um, just as we wrap things up today, I've been your host, Julianne Gesto, and our featured speakers have been Doctors Keith Rodvold and Taylor Morissette. This episode was produced by Zara Casamali Escobar and Rachel Britt. It was edited by Gillian Hayes and peer reviewed by Sarah Alice Stuart Greaser, and Kritika Metawala Hornback. Our production team includes Kelly Cole and Anna Zal. The executive producer of Breakpoints is Aaron McCreary. Our theme song was recorded by SADP member Steve Smoke. You can subscribe to Breakpoints on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and helping SIDP achieve our vision of safe and effective antimicrobials for now and the future.